don't tell me you're struggling if you're still buying toilet paper. Not when so many different places give free napkins. Fast food places, convenience stores, coffee shops. Oh, well, isn't that stealing? Yeah, okay, but it's a victimless crime. Like robbing a bank after it's closed. No victims. I see Tim Scott dropped out of the race. First Pence, now Tim Scott. I don't know. I mean, he did fine in the debates, but Tim Scott, he was just... He was just, he was just too ugly. I don't know what the heck is so funny. We don't want no ugly president. And don't you dare say what about Donald Trump? Donald Trump is not an ugly man. I mean, I don't know if he's still the rock hard 215 pounds that he was when he got that mug shot. He looks like he might've put on a little bit of weight since then, but he's not an ugly man. But come on, we can't fool around. I don't have time. I got to be quick with this one. This is going to end up being long if, I, if I'm if i not as quick as I can possibly be. So I apologize if I talk a little fast in this one. It's time for part three of my three-part series. Is this unreasonable? Ooh, the third part. This has got to be the best part. This has got to be the part where I tie it all in. The part where you go, oh, that's what he's been talking about. This is the payoff episode. And this might be the touchiest one. You know, the first one, billionaires and taxes. The second one, guns. This one, unions. Ooh, unions. That's touchy for a lot of people. If you're not a thousand percent on board with some people when it comes to unions, they'll look at you like I imagine Melania looks at Donald when he climbs in bed. Just a look of venomous disgust and contempt. But do what Melania does. Just pretend I'm somebody else. Pretend I'm somebody you like telling you this stuff and see if you can get through it. All right. So you know the deal. I'm going to play you some clips, and then you're going to rate it, scale of 1 to 10, reasonable, unreasonable. 1 being totally reasonable, 10 being totally unreasonable. Then we'll discuss, all right? You'll listen to me run my mouth for a minute, and you'll see if you change your mind at all or if you find what I say at least somewhat interesting. All right? I'm going to get right to it. This is from Politics Girl Podcast. Um, I've talked about her show a little bit in the past. It's a show I listen to not as regularly as the other shows from the other two episodes that I did, but once in a while I'll tune into the show and I enjoy the show, even though I mostly, I'd say 80 to 90% disagree with the show. You know, I'm not about listening only to things I agree with. So I tune into the show when I can and I enjoy the show. You could tell she works really hard on her show and she's sincere in what she's saying, even though I may disagree with a lot of it. So, OK, so this is Politics Girl podcast, an interview she did with the AFL-CIO president. Let's listen. This has been the summer of strikes. American workers from coast to coast have clearly had enough and have been standing in solidarity for better wages, better working conditions and increased benefits. The majority of us know we can no longer carry on like this. The wealth inequality in this country and the chasm between the workers and the owners is leading us down a dark path. Back in the day when unions were at their peak, 40% of American workers were part of a union. Now that number is under 7%. And look what happened in the meantime. The middle class has all but disappeared. The rich got richer while the poor are poorer. Workers feeling fed up and fired up because they've seen the sacrifices, you know, through the pandemic, 
They did their part and then they see the companies raking in billions and billions of dollars, but yet not finding enough to give them a raise, to give them the security they need. And so they're finding their voice and their power by rising up and actually forming unions. They're connecting the dots that the labor movement is the place to be to make the change they want to see. Uh, so there's a pay gap there. The best way to close the pay gap is to join a union. So I think that there's a misperception out there that unions only are for certain types of work. And so that would be one thing I would put out there is no, unions are for, for every type of job. And if you want to form one, we want to help you do it. And I guess the other thing that I would say is that in this era of runaway corporate wealth where CEOs are making 272 times the average worker. Let me say that again, 272 times. Used to be about 20 times, 20 to one. Now it's 272 times. And it's not because they're working 272 times harder than the rest of us. Um, it's just essentially they've been able to amass unconscionable levels of wealth at the expense of working people. And so the way we balance those scales is to come together collectively in unions to get to a seat at the table to negotiate our fair share because we're the workers who are making those profits possible. Okay, so you get the argument. They said a lot. They went on and on and on like that for the entire show because, listen, they are two very strongly pro-union people, and they make a great case for unions. You know, they go through all the reasons why a worker would want to or should be in a union. So you get the argument. Reasonable or unreasonable? What was said there? Scale of 1 to 10. Go ahead and give your rating. I'm not going to give my rating. I'm going to refer back to this. Keep these clips in mind when I refer back and when I wrap up the show and tell you what this is all about, what the point of these three episodes to tie in was. Number one, the thing I will say now is, what the heck is unconscionable wealth? I can barely even say that word. Who uses a word like that? Unconscionable. How many letters are in that word? And why would you ever describe wealth as unconscionable? That's a word you use for something like it's unconscionable. The Pittsburgh Steelers haven't fired their offensive coordinator yet. That's a word. That's that's when you use the word unconscionable. I don't know if I'd ever use that for wealth. I don't know what too much wealth looks like, but OK, I think we get our point. And so I fact checked it because I wasn't sure. You know, I know there's a huge pay gap, but I wasn't sure if her numbers were accurate. So I fact checked it to 272 to one. And it turns out not only is she factually accurate, she might be a little bit low. If you look, you'll find that there are people who say the pay gap between CEOs and workers is actually 400 to one, 400 to one. That seems unconscionable. And so I'm not going to waste a whole lot of time arguing things like that. Okay. Any reasonable person would say, boy, that seems kind of out of whack. 400 to one. Uh, in 1965, it was 20 to one. And in 1989, it was, memory serves, it was 1989, I think it was 59 to 1. I could be wrong on that one. But it's, it's, it's way out of whack now, okay? So, as I say, I could sit here and I could say, well, in 1965, the population of the United States was 194 million people. You had a bunch of companies. Now, the population of the United States is 332 million people. So you have 138 more people 
buying goods from fewer companies. And so that obviously will push the profits of those companies skyrocketing, which will push the compensation for CEOs skyrocketing. Because when they look at the compensation for CEOs, they take the salary, they take their stock, they take their bonuses, they take all of it into consideration. So I could sit here and tell you, ah, come on, it's not a fair comparison. They're looking at the top, top, tippity top companies, CEOs, the largest companies in the world to make that comparison. So it's not fair, but come on, come on, 400 to one. I mean, 272 to one, heck, 50 to one people would be upset about. So let's not have that argument. Let's not have the argument over whether or not CEO pay is too high. Let's not have the argument over whether or not collective bargaining has a place in America. Reasonable people would agree on that issue. My question, my argument when it comes to unions, and I've done a few episodes, people may remember, I did an episode Amazon versus unions. I did an episode, a discussion broke out on Twitter where I talked about a back and forth I had with some pro-union people on Twitter. I did an episode, The Union Solution, where I talked directly to Starbucks workers and I said, hey, look, here's, I, I'm not agree with, I don't agree with you, but if I did, here's what I would say you should do. Here's my solution. So I've done episodes on unions. You can go listen to them. No need to argue that. My question is, has always been, should every worker in America be in a union? Is collective bargaining for every single worker in America, for every single worker, for every single industry? Pro-union people would tell you, yes, absolutely, of course. Even those at entry level, or excuse the phrase, unskilled labor positions. And the second question, the second problem I have, are unions still in this day and age, the most effective way for labor to get what they want, to accomplish what they want. Those are my two questions. That's what I'll focus on. Listen now and rate me. Scale of one to 10, reasonable, unreasonable. For me, if I employ you and you quit and I can pick up the phone and call a temp agency and they send me someone, anyone who can replace you that day with no training, it's hard to justify union benefits for that person. What's an example? Someone who works in a warehouse unloading boxes all day. That's what they do. You show up. What do I do? There's a truck. It's going to pull up. You go in the truck. You pick up the boxes. You carry them over there and you put them down. That's the job. That's the whole job. I say no union. Now, if I need someone, I call a temp agency. I say I need someone to come work to unload trucks with a forklift. Now you have to have certification. Now you have to have a level of knowledge and skill. So, yes, union. You get it? The higher the knowledge, the experience, the level of skill, the certifications that are needed goes up, the more I see that as a union-type job. I believe, post-pandemic, we've gotten a little whack out of whack in this country, a little askew in this country, where we believe if it's hard work, if the job is hard, union. I believe we've gotten a little out of whack where we've forgotten that there are government agencies, federal and state, to address some of the problems, some of the complaints that people think unions are supposed to address. 
I think we've gotten a little bit overgeneralized about what it means for working conditions. I told you, there are people who work from home that say, I need better working conditions around here. You know, there are people who describe their job as hard. You know, okay. Again, without criticizing anybody, look, I, I tell you, I'm, I'm about as lowest on the level of work, <laughs> unglamorous work, as, as it can get. So I'm not criticizing anybody's job or judging anybody's job that I don't do. But, you know, hard work is relative. I think trudging into the center of earth to drag out coal is a hard job. Whereas someone who works the drive through at Starbucks would say it's a that's a hard job. Or someone who's a supermodel would say that's a hard job. You're not going to find a supermodel dropping dead of black lung disease anytime soon. But OK, people feel how they feel. Stay focused here. Don't let me lose you. Remember, I'm not criticizing the need for unions. We're having a discussion over should everyone be in a union? Let me discuss it this way. All right. Maybe it'll be better if I discuss it this way. Let me use one of the largest, longest existing employers in the world as an example. Santa Claus. Let's say it's September or October and Santa has to ramp up his hiring for the holidays. So he hires an elf named Fiddle Faddle. Now, Fiddle Faddle goes to work in Santa's workshop. After a couple of weeks, Fiddle Faddle says to the other elves, this job sucks. We get a half hour lunch and two lousy 15-minute breaks? They'll say, well, yeah, fiddle-faddle. That's the way it's always been. Another week later, fiddle-faddle says, this job sucks. It's freezing in here. Why is it so cold in here? I can barely feel my toes. The other elves say, well, because we're at the North Pole, fiddle-faddle. That's the way it's always been. Then after another week, Santa Claus comes across the loudspeaker, and he says, announcement, announcement, beginning on November 1st, through January 2nd, there will be mandatory overtime for all elves. Ho, ho, ho. Well, Fiddle Faddle says, that's it. That's it. I'm going to go talk to this fat bastard. He can't treat us like this. And the other elves say, but Fiddle Faddle, this is the way it's always been. And Fiddle Faddle says, oh, yeah. Well, it's time for the status quo to change. It's time we flexed our collective muscles around here. And he goes to Santa and makes his demands. And Santa Claus says, Fiddle Faddle, you're fired. And every single person who's ever donated a dime to Bernie Sanders screams, union busting. That's union busting. You can't do that. But Santa Claus just has one simple question. Fiddle Faddle, where did you think you were coming to work? You came to me. I didn't come to you. You came in. You filled out an application. Asked to work the second shift, told us you had references. You didn't know it gets busy around the holidays? I told you, Amazon, Starbucks, they're not snatching people off the street. People go there to work. Amazon workers don't know it gets busy around the holidays. UPS drivers don't know it gets busy around the holidays. Retail workers, restaurant workers. You didn't know those jobs don't necessarily come with great pay? When you filled out the application and asked for the job, you didn't know the work was going to be demanding and the job satisfaction was not the best. You didn't know any of this. Well, yeah, but when I started, it was great. But then it just got worse and worse and worse. Quit. Quit. I'm sorry. But for so many people, it's difficult to get around that. If you're unhappy at the job, quit 
and go get another job. Oh, there are no other jobs at the North Pole. I'm not qualified to do glacier migration studies. Well, what the heck do you want from me, is what Santa Claus would say. If you aren't qualified, if you don't have the experience, if you don't have the skill to do any job but this job, what the heck do you want from me? This is the job. This is the pay. These are the working conditions. Oh, yeah, well, I'm not happy. I've seen a bear ride a tricycle. I've seen some meteors shoot across the night sky. I've seen a stripper throw up on a guy she was giving a lap dance. I have yet in my life to see an entry-level worker happy at their job. Some jobs ain't great. Some jobs don't pay well. Some jobs aren't fun. Some jobs aren't rewarding. That's the way it is. The question, do we bring unions in to all of those jobs because of that? That's the question. Or do we say that's why they're called entry level jobs? Do them until you can find something else to do, until you raise your level of experience and skill and knowledge and find something else to do. At Amazon, unless they're lying, and I don't think anyone has told me they are, at Amazon, they will even help you do it. They will even pay for your education to go get a better job. And people still complain about Amazon. Yeah, well, I hear you, but I don't like it. It ain't right, and we need to change it. We need to change the status quo. Okay, all right. But you know what status quo you can't change? You know what reality you can't change? Consumerism. Consumerism. The consumer wants what the consumer wants. Santa Claus understands that. He understands on Christmas Day... All those little bad kids that don't care whether he keeps a naughty or nice list anymore are going to come racing down those stairs and look under that Christmas tree and they want what they want. The same way when somebody makes an order from Amazon, they want it and they want it on time or early. That's the only thing that's acceptable. They want it to show up on time or earlier. They don't want to hear from Santa Claus or Amazon. Uh, Listen, um, your order It's going to be a little late this year because we wanted to give our employees a week off in December so they could spend time with their families. They don't want to hear that. So don't just complain to the business. You might want to complain to the consumer who wants what they want. But it's not all the same. Listen, all of these strikes are not the same. People seem to want to put them all in the same basket. The the writer's strike, the actor's strike, UPS, the auto workers, they're not all the same. You know, Starbucks, what's going on at Starbucks with their Red Cup Rebellion? It's not all the same. If you ask me, the UAW showed people the way. You can tell the UAW, they've been around, uh, uh, you know, collective bargaining for a while. They knew exactly what to do, and they knew what they can get. They started high. Oh, we want a 40% raise, and we want a shorter work week, and we want benefits that we lost. And so the automakers went low. Oh, we'll give you a 10% raise. We'll give you some benefits. And then in the end of it, they they meet in the middle. And during the negotiations, the UAW, they keep the pressure on in small increments. They say, we're going on strike here at this location. And then another 5,000 workers are going to walk out here to keep the pressure on. They know they have the leverage at this time to get what they ultimately want, a deal that they were all, quote unquote, happy with. Everyone's somewhat happy with. Collective bargaining. Not collective demanding, not a scorched earth bargaining, 
like some unions seem to want to do. Not a collective demanding where you go out and constantly bad mouth the company and make people hate the company and say, we're going to bankrupt this company if they don't give us what we want. Well, if you bankrupt the company, you got no job to go back to. <laughs> I swear, I do not get the Starbucks union. They seem to want to do bargaining in a way where they just every day, every employee says how horrible Starbucks is, the place where they want to work. It doesn't make any sense. You got Amazon people saying, Amazon is killing workers. We're going on strike because Amazon is killing us. We want to work there. It doesn't make any sense. That whole scorched earth policy where you're going to destroy the company as you're bargaining does not make a whole lot of sense to me. I think the UAW demonstrated how you're supposed to do collective bargaining. UPS, same thing. Hey, look, they had the leverage. They knew they had the leverage. They got a good deal. Okay, those occupations, those occupations, I get it. Other occupations, not so much. Well, it's not fair. It's not fair. We were essential. We risked our lives through the pandemic. And these companies made billions and billions and billions of dollars, and they're not sharing the success and blah, 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 blah. All right. All right. So what do you want? What do you want? You got to make demands. You're not going to get what you want if you don't make demands. What do you want? We want better working conditions. Okay. We want higher pay. Okay. We want guaranteed schedules because we're understaffed all the time. Okay. All right. Reasonable enough. Oh, and no mandatory overtime. Okay. We want to work less hours. Uh, all right. All right. Fine. Uh, wait. We want six months paternity instead of three. We want six months paternity. We want two weeks vacation. Okay. All right. We want five six day, sick days. We want three mental wellness days. Uh, okay. I guess we could do something. Hang on. We're not done. We want transportation stipend to get to and from work. We want an extra half hour for lunch. and uh, an hour, A half hour is not a, a, enough. We want an hour for lunch. We want health benefits from day one. And did we mention that we're understaffed? Uh, hold on a second. Don't you chop onions? Now, see, there I go. I'm going to lose you. I apologize. Strike that. Strike that from the record. I told you I'm not knocking anybody's job. I clean toilets for a living, for God's sake. But come on. Come on. For every job. And if you say, oh, come on now. All jobs aren't asking for all of those things. Not yet. Not yet. That's the point. It's the point I've made to you in the past. Why do companies fear unions? Not because of where the union starts. It's where the union goes. In the second contract, the third contract, the fourth contract. You don't want to be getting the same things in the fourth contract you got in the first contract. So if you got higher pay and some benefits and then maybe a couple of extra weeks of vacation, well, by the fourth contract, you want those sick days. You want that maternity leave. You want that longer uh, lunch break. So that's the problem. All of those things are always on the table for any union. That and more. That and more. Things I don't even think of. That's the problem. All of those things for every single occupation and every industry that's my question. Is that a reasonable question? I'm, ask, I'm not asking you for agreement. I never am. I'm asking you, is that a reasonable question? I think it is because sometimes I sit and listen to union folks and I go, well, no wonder they're understaffed. There's nobody to work. They got people employed, 
but people are out on vacation, they're out on sick days, they're out on maternity leave, they're out on mental wellness days. There's, there's nobody to work. Let me in on, let you in on a secret. If a company has a thousand workers, it's because they need a thousand workers. That's why they have a thousand workers employed. If anywhere between 75 to 100 of those workers are always out for one reason or another, it hurts productivity. It's a problem. You're going to be complaining, hey, we're understaffed around here. Well, yeah, <laughs> of course you are. You got the business sitting there going, you don't want to work mandatory overtime. In the last union contract, didn't you argue for higher pay for overtime? And we gave you higher pay for overtime. Now you don't want to work overtime. That's why you're understaffed. This is a good time to reveal the common thread throughout these three episodes. The common thread is we cannot continue to have two plus two equals four arguments in this country. That's what we have. Two plus two equals four. Agree or disagree? Well, I agree. Well, there you go. So I win. Well, no, there's more to it, I think. You know, there's multiplication, there's division, and there's, you know, fractions. No, 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 2 plus 2 equals 4. If you go back and you listen to the clips I played earlier, or the clips I played in the two previous episodes, 2 plus 2 equals 4. I cannot argue that with you. I cannot argue with you that people shouldn't have to choose between medicine or rent. I cannot argue with you that a child should not go to bed hungry. I cannot argue with you that we must protect our democracy. I cannot argue with you that I have a right to protect my family. I cannot argue with you that I have a right to freedom. Those are the arguments we have. I can't argue those. No one could argue those. No reasonable sane person would attempt to argue those things. And so we keep having those arguments over and over and over and the people having them are going, I know I'm right. I'm no, I know I'm right. How could I be wrong? How could you argue those things? But there's more to it. There's more to it. I'm not arguing whether or not a child should go to bed hungry. I'm arguing what we do about it. I'm not arguing whether or not someone should own a gun. I'm arguing how do we make it safer? I'm not arguing whether or not billionaires should pay their fair share of taxes. I'm arguing about where should that money go to do the most good for the country, for the country. That's the argument. No one seems to want to have that argument because it's way more difficult an argument to have. And oh, by the way, it doesn't help you politically. It doesn't help you get ratings. It doesn't help you get followers. It doesn't help you get listeners. Well, everything can't be for profit or for benefit. And one of the things that cannot be for profit or benefit is information. People need complete information. You cannot break down every single complicated issue into two plus two equals four. You're doing people a disservice when you do that. And I'll give you an example. And if you don't know the show, I've said before, yes, I focus more on the left. I'm harder on the left because I expect more from the left. You know, we see the polls. <laughs> we see these recent polls. Donald Trump leading 
Joe Biden in some key swing states, Biden not looking so good in the polls, and every single Democrat goes out there and says, ah, don't worry, don't worry. Polls are just a snapshot in time. And oh, by the way, Obama wasn't doing so great in the polls at this time in his administration either. Well, Obama wasn't running against Donald Trump. The alternative to Obama wasn't Donald Trump. It's like Joe Biden is running against the character Jigsaw from those movies, except for the fact that Donald Trump is probably a little bit crazier than Jigsaw. Nobody on the left wants to look at themselves and go, oh, what are we getting wrong here? (laughs) They just, oh, don't worry. So don't get upset with me because all my examples seem to go after the left. (laughs) The right is a mess. (laughs) That's all. So if I use an example like Joe Biden's student loan debt forgiveness, people love that. People on the left love Joe Biden's student loan debt forgiveness because if you make a two plus two equals four argument, how could it be bad, right? Help people out. Joe Biden shuffles out on the stage and he announces, finally, millions of Americans will be able to get relief from this debt. Millions of Americans will finally get a leg up and be able to start a family or start a business. Now, I have no idea why Joe Biden thinks if you're saving, let's even say, $300 a month on a student loan payment, you could start a family. But let's set that aside for a minute. We know what happens. We know exactly what happens. That $300 a month student loan is alleviated and people go, oh, cool. Now I can go buy a car. So if you were struggling If you were struggling paying $300 a month on a student loan, how are you not going to be struggling if you pay $300 a month for a car? Well, I can get a better job if I get a car. I didn't have a car. Now I got a car. I can get get a better job. Stop it. Would you just stop it, please? Millions of borrowers are not sitting around the country waiting for that $300 a month to go get a better job. Come on. That's what happens. People take the $300 that they're saving and they go spend it somewhere else. And in a lot of cases, to make matters worse, (laughs) stick with me here, in a lot of cases, it's going to end up right back where it started. It's going to end up right back with that same financial company in one form or fashion. And so the financial companies, the lending institutions, the banks are still going to get the $300 a month student loan. Somebody's going to pay it. And they're also going to get the $300 a month loan on the car. Sooner or later, that $300 is going to make its way right back to the balance sheet of the financial institution that you thought you were alleviating the debt from. And we wonder why the rich get richer and the poor or the middle class stay in the same position. We wonder why that is. It's because the rich can't lose. Businesses can't lose. When there's a friendly Republican administration in charge, oh, they can do mergers, they can get tax cuts. And then when there's a Democratic um, uh, administration in power, the Democrats just flood the economy with money that then goes to the businesses and to the wealthy. The business goes, hey, people got more money to spend, raise the prices. And so the prices go up and then people go, I wonder why I'm still broke. I was making 40000 now I'm making sixty. I wonder why I'm still broke. Because you're spending sixty. <laughs> when you made forty, you spent forty. Now you're spending sixty. <laughs> Not only do Democrats help big business that way, they also crush their competition. The Republicans let business merge their competitions out of business. Democrats put the competition out of business. 
Well, what do you mean, comparison group guy? 15% minimum tax. 15% minimum tax. You put a 15% minimum tax on companies making over a billion dollars, Amazon says, ouch, ouch. All right, here, we got it in the couch cushions. But Bed Bath & Beyond says, we're bankrupt. We're bankrupt. And so now, I guess that neck massager that I was going to buy from Bed Bath & Beyond, I guess I got to go get it from Amazon now, huh? Democrats insist on this one-size-fits-all, put them all in the same bucket and go after them all philosophy that doesn't really hurt the biggest companies. It hurts the small and mid-sized companies, making it impossible for them to do business. They complain about not enough competition, but they run some companies out of business or they at least make it very difficult for them to compete, for them to compete with the big guys. And the people who are so supportive and so pro-union do not get their part in it either. Listen to this last clip. And that's why things like Starbucks really bug me, Starbucks and Amazon, right? Because A, I use those products a lot, and now I'm thinking I shouldn't. Um, Yeah, you shouldn't. <laughs> You're thinking maybe you shouldn't do business with them. Yes, you shouldn't do business with them if you are as pro-union as you are. I can't tell you how fascinating that statement is. And I hate to do this because it seems like I'm knocking her and I'm not. I respect her honesty. At least she's honest. She says, yeah, I do business a lot with Starbucks and Amazon. And I don't know why more pro-union people do not recognize the collective activism, the collective power in their activism, their collective bargaining as an employee, but there's collective activism as a consumer. That goes back to the question I asked, is there a better way forward in these times for workers, for labor? Man, this is going long. I got to start to wrap up, but hang in there with me. I got two really important points to make here. Okay. Collective activism. For some reason, there are some people in this country that seem to be able to make businesses bend to their will. One woman, one woman walks into Target, sees something she doesn't like, snaps a picture, and Target is falling all over themselves to make it right. Budweiser runs an ad campaign. People don't like it. Budweiser falling all over themselves to apologize. Going to fire people. So how is it that those people were able to bend those huge companies to their will, but other people seem to struggle so much to do the same. They feel like they need a union to get companies to behave the way they want companies to behave. Well, one of the reasons, let's go back in time, back to the 60s, when the pay gap between CEOs and workers was 20 to 1. The largest companies were GM, $11 billion in revenue, Exxon, $8 billion in revenue, Ford, $5.3 billion, General Electric, $4.3 billion. Today, right now, the largest companies, Walmart. $611 billion. Amazon, $514 billion. Exxon, $413 billion. Apple, $394 billion. Apple was the most profitable company for the eighth time in the last nine years. If I adjusted it for inflation from the 1960s, the number one company, GM, with $11 billion, it'd make it $111 billion. You could add up the the top five in the 1960s. It wouldn't come even close 
to the $611 billion for Walmart. Not even close. Consumerism. Consumerism. Change that status quo. Change where you spend your dollars. Use social media for something other than complaining. This is going to sting with some people. But use social media for something other than complaining. When Budweiser got themselves in hot water for doing nothing wrong, for having the audacity to say, hey, maybe we should represent all people. That's all Budweiser did. There should have been 50 gun GoFundMe accounts raising money to buy Budweiser stock. 500 GoFundMe accounts. If you don't know how to buy stock, send us $10. Send us $25. Send us $100. We're going to push that Budweiser stock up so high, it's going to split. They're going to be paying dividends. And then we're going to sell it, and we're going to donate the money to some LGBTQ plus causes. That's activism. That's making change because then other companies see that and they go, oh, well, okay, that's where the country is right now. We can do it, too. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to fire people because they made the mistake of siding with one cause or another. That makes change. You know the problem with liberals sometimes when they protest, you have a thousand people show up. Nine hundred and ninety of them got the bullhorn. Everybody wants to be in charge of the message. That's the problem with liberals. That's why their causes don't have the impact that somebody with a cell phone that goes into Target has. Everybody's got the bullhorn. Everybody complaining on social media. But nobody taking any activism. And listen, by the way, don't feel bad if you didn't think of that because I didn't think about it until about an hour ago before I started the show. So, you know, I, I kicked myself. I should have come on here way back when, and given that idea for Budweiser back then, but I didn't think of it, so it's okay. But we have to change our thinking. We have to change the way we're going about these things. And to hear someone who's pro-union and say, I do a lot of business with Amazon and Starbucks, it would be, I'd be less shocked if she told me she donated money to Donald Trump. That's how crazy that statement was, that she does business with those companies. But we spend we spend. That's what we do. That's why Walmart has revenue of $611 billion. It's why Apple is so profitable. We spend. We got to have it. Got to have it. And then we get upset when these CEOs get wealthy. We make them wealthy. Mark Zuckerberg, one of the richest people in America, starts threads, and 100 people can't wait to get on threads to make him more money. And then they complain he's wealthy. It doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't make any sense. But that's how we are today. In the 60s, I imagine people went to a middle class job. They got married. They saved for a house and they bought a modest house, modest, modest house they could afford. And then they had kids and they worked and they saved and they retired. Boring. Boring. No one wants to do that today. And I get it. I get why. There's too much fun to be had out there. But you know what I did when I was young? What I did for fun? I went to work. <laughs> That's what you did for fun when you were young, when you were 18, 19, 20 years old. You went to work and you had fun with your friends. It was a fun job because it wasn't a career. It was an entry-level job and you knew you weren't going to be doing it for the rest of your life. Ah, what's the use? I got to wrap this up. The last thing. I got to say this. The last thing. Profit. 
profit, because that's what trumps everything is profit. Joe Biden himself, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders and Alexandria, the original Red Cup rebel herself, Ocasio-Cortez, would all say the profit is ridiculous for these companies. Now, I'm going to tell you something now, but you got to promise me you cannot say where you heard it. You got to promise me. I'm serious. I could go to jail for telling you this secret. Okay? Businesses love to make money. What do you mean you already knew that? Seriously? Well, I don't know why so many people act like they don't know that. Businesses like to make money. Businesses love profit. They always want to make more money than they made the last year. On that list of companies I gave you, Exxon, $55 billion in profit. $55 billion last year. They set a record. They want to make more this year. When a company starts out, they say, we had a great year last year, or in some cases, we had a bad year last year. Here's what we want to make going forward. They do not sit down and say, we made $55 billion in profit last year. We paid our clerical staff $35 an hour. Shoot, we could have paid them $135 an hour and been just fine. Still made a ton of money. They don't look at it that way. That's not the way they do business. It just isn't. I'm sorry. They look at the profit. They look at what's going forward and how much they want to make. And what they pay their labor, what they pay their workers is based on value. If I have to keep saying this, I'll say it. I just can't believe I have to say it to the president of the AFL-CIO. In that interview, if you remember, she said these CEOs are making 272 times the worker and they're not doing 272 times the work. I'll say it again for the millionth time. People are not paid based on hard work. People are paid based on value. On value. Say it again. Listen to it. Understand it. People are not paid for hard work. They're not paid for the work. They're paid for their value. Can I get someone else to do what you're doing for the price you're doing it at? That is the question. CEOs have people to answer to. There's boards of directors. There's shareholders. If it's determined that they're making more than what the value is for that company, they will be fired. They might get a nice, you know, severance pay, but they still will be fired. Everyone is paid based on their value. And a lot of people may disagree with this, but I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. If I work for Walmart and the CEO is making $50 million a year, fine by me, as long as I'm happy with what I'm making. That's just me. People will disagree. But I come up at a time when what the company was making, what the CEO was making was not my concern. My concern was what I was making. Did I feel like what I was making was enough to do the job? What the company makes is irrelevant. That's as a worker. As a consumer, as a consumer, what a company makes is irrelevant to me if I'm happy with the company. Like Amazon, for instance. I don't care how much money Amazon makes. They're fantastic. They run a great operation. It's incredible what they do. They offer a fantastic service. That's one of the reasons why they make so much money. I was on Amazon a couple weeks ago ordering something, 
And it said, if you order this in the next two hours, you can get it today. I said, say what? I said, how is that even possible? The computer said back to me, what did we just say? What did we just say? You order that in the next two hours, we will throw that crap at your front door today. And I'll be doggone rooting tooting if they didn't do it. I said, that's incredible. Would they have a truck sitting at the corner of my street knowing I was going to order it? They offer a fantastic service. Now, on the other hand, it drives me crazy that some of these inter- internet service providers or like Time Warner Cable or some of these other companies that make billions and billions of dollars or some of these media outlets that make billions and billions of dollars spewing lies. Yeah, that bothers me. That bothers me. But if a company is offering a great product or service, I don't care how much money they make. I don't care. We have to look at it that way, in my opinion. What are you getting? What is the company offering? If they're paying lower taxes, are they generating economic activity? Are they employing thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people? Are they adding to that $25 trillion economy that we have in this country that makes us the greatest country in the world? Are the tax breaks allowing them to do that, incentivizing them to do that? It's more than two plus two equals four. The discussion is way broader than that. Am I converting anyone? And by converting anyone, I don't mean agreement. I mean, is there anyone out there going, this was interesting? This was an interesting discussion. I'm going to share this with somebody and see what they think about it. And then I'll have a discussion with them and then we'll come up with some ideas. And when you have the discussion, if they push back on you, if they don't want to accept anything, anything that I said is reasonable, ask them this. Well, how do you pay your workers? And I'll say, well, what do you mean? I don't have a business. Oh, well, do you own a home? Do you have a car? Do you shop for clothes or groceries? Do you seek out the business that offers the best pay or benefits to its workers, or do you go with the ones that offer the best price? If I come to your home and I give you a bid to redo your kitchen and I'm $10,000 higher than the other guy, and I explain, well, listen, the labor time is the same, the material cost is the same, the end result is going to be the same. I just happen to offer my worker higher pay and benefits. I really like to take care of them. And that's why my bid is so much higher. Which company do you go with? Do you go with the company that's $10,000 more because you're supportive of workers? Or do you go with the cheaper company who you know must be paying their workers less? And if you say, well, listen, I have a budget. I got to go with what I can afford. Well, that's the great conundrum, isn't it? If customers won't pay more or are unable to pay more, there's really no incentive for companies to do right by their workers, is there? If the consumer isn't going to spend their dollars with the companies that do right. Sometimes I wonder, am I just a naive idiot who's just missing the big picture here? Or am I Rain Man, who's a simple-minded genius? I don't know. (laughs) I know I'm not super smart, but it seems like super smart people just keep asking the same question over and over again when the answers are so easy. You know, Democrats love to point to the polls and say how, their, poll, their ideas always poll well. You know, we got a couple of uh, bits of news. Uh, Joe Manchin has decided he's not going to run. Kirsten Sinema doesn't know if she's going to run. And I guarantee you Democrats will say, we got to run progressives. We got to run some left-leaning progressive people in those races. And if we just tell the people in Arizona and West Virginia, 
what we're all about and what we're offering, we can win it. We can win it. And they think that because they go, our ideas poll so well. So why wouldn't we win these elections? Why can't we win these elections? Uh, Because Republican voters don't vote on the items only in those polls. You want help with child care? Yeah, sure. You think businesses should pay more in taxes? Yeah, sure. I agree with that. You think there should be background checks on all gun purchases? Yeah, sure. I agree with that. You think a woman should have the right to choose? <laughs> Hold on there. Hold on there now, Smokey. Not in West Virginia. Not in Arizona. Mm-mm-mm-mm. You think Biden's doing well with the border? Mm-mm-mm-mm. That's why. That's why. You can't just look at the things that you poll well on and then go, I wonder why people don't vote for us more. I guess we just got to get the message out there. No, they know the message. They know what you're for and they're okay with some of it. But there's other things that you're for that they are not okay with that override what they are okay with. Why is that so hard to understand? Why do people keep saying, well, we poll so well. Our ideas poll so well. I wonder why we can't get these voters. Am I an idiot that's naive and just doesn't see it? Or am I Rain Man? I don't think I'm either, to be perfectly honest with you. I think people understand it. I think people get it. I think there are people out there who are saying some of the same things I'm saying. We just don't hear it enough because it's so much easier to just keep the argument to two plus two equals four. Ooh, that ran a little longer than I'm used to doing. I appreciate you hanging in. Do you have the time to listen to me? Why? About nothing and everything all at once. I am one of I actually had a ton more to say, but holy smokes, how long can we go, right? Sometimes I give myself the creeps. Sometimes my mind plays tricks on me. It all keeps adding I actually mentioned I was going to talk about something that had to do with MAGA Republicans. It was from the same show, that Politics Girl show. It was another episode, maybe next week. Maybe I'll get to it next week. Uh, please share. I appreciate it so much when you do. People have been sharing more lately. I really, really, really appreciate it. It helps me out. I'm just a small guy. You know, not necessarily. I can't still say I'm starting out. been doing this for two years now, but still just trying to get out there. So please go to Spotify. Go to Apple Podcast, anywhere you get podcasts, click on the show, click on a particular episode, go to the three dots, and share. Sometimes my mind plays tricks on me. It all keeps adding up. I think I'm cracking If you can, you can go to Spotify and make comments, I guess. I guess. Some people can make comments on Spotify. Some people can't. I do have an Instagram account, the comparison group. I never go to it. But if you want to leave me a comment there, feel free. All right. Thanks a lot. I'll see you next time. Uh-huh.